Hello and welcome back to The Latecomers. I'm Amity. I'm Lemuel. And this week, it's Die Hard Baby. And yes, it is a Christmas movie. But before we get into that, how was your week? My week was actually um, fairly good. We had people over. We had people. We had wine. Guests. We had barbecue. Barbecue. We had lemon cake. Lemon cake. Which we still have some of. Yes, I know. And that's how I'm going to celebrate the closing of this episode. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> With some lemon cake. Nice. How was your weekend? Uh, it was good. I uh, I saw have... you at my weekend. Uh-huh. I was here. And you played games. I did play games. I played a new game that my friend had gotten me for my birthday mm-hmm. called Her Story. And it's a very cute game. And I got to learn about a lot of ladies I didn't know about. Mm. And I recommend it. Her story. Her story. And monies for it go to Malala's Fund, which education for women is never a bad thing. Nope. So. Not never, not once. Not never, not once. Well, I mean, it's a bad thing for certain systems and institutions, but that's fine. I'm not sad about it. Uh, you want to get into this movie? Yeah, there's this a lot. Movie, of there's sp- a lot of stuff in this movie, uh, but also everyone has seen this movie. I don't know that we have to... I mean, we certainly can't play-by-play play this movie, but... No, I don't but think so. Y'all have seen in, in this. That re- in that degree, there's not a lot going on in the movie. I didn't know how much was going on behind the scenes. Gotcha. Me. So, let's start with, what is your history with this movie, and is it a Christmas movie? We're only going to dwell on that for a second. Yes, it is a Christmas movie. It takes place at Christmas. Christmas is a constant recurring theme. It is theme a constant recurring the theme. One yes. of the, the corpses is dressed as Santa Claus at one point. He uses a holiday tape to tape a gun to his back. He, um, it ends with a holiday song and yeah, it, it's, it's a Christmas it's, movie. It's, it, it is pushing Christmas right consistently through its, y'all, two hour and 12 the second runtime. The only run film time. that has more Christmas in it is probably, or the only Gremlins. story having more Christmas is a Christmas Carol. <laughs> Christmas Carol. Like all that was needed was more ghosts. Um, yeah, there weren't any ghosts in no. this. Well, that we saw. That, yeah, that, so that um, I'm going to go ahead and. Go ahead and round down to the ghosts to zero, then. I'm not going to just presume a hundred ghosts that were invisible. That seems ludicrous to me. Um, so, uh, but what is your history with the movie as um, well? I saw it... Uh, it came on, out in 1988. Yeah, I saw it much later on, on the VHS. And I liked it. I remember... Uh, now, this... I will say it came out in July of 1988. But lying, it's Christmas movie stuff right. a little bit. But go ahead. Well, it's a summer kind of movie. I mean, I, I don't know who <laughs> makes these decisions that intellectuals uh, hide during the summer and they come out in winter months to watch films. I don't understand that. Maybe it's changing now. Maybe because that used to be the big. It's a summer movie, um, but at that point, yeah, the stuff that gets released at Christmas is uh, Oscar bait. Oscar bait, <laughs> Academy Award stuff, and stuff you mm. want to go see with your mom, right? Like you're you're visiting your home visiting, right. and and they want something that grandparents and kids kind of can all go see together. This right. this doesn't really fit that. No, so you're not going to take your mom to watch the raid, for instance. Um, My mom would have loved that movie. <laughs> really, I'm just saying she would have. She liked an action movie. Uh, that, that that film is very active. There's another film that should be on this list. But my mom also never got to. I, I'm thinking about like. My mom now, when she'd mm. be in her 60s or 70s, my right. mom did not make it that late into right, her okay. life. So she never became a grandma age, really. I mean, anybody can be a grandma age if they've got a 12-year-old daughter, especially in the lower 
48. Okay. Sorry, I'm not thrilled with the state of our current union. But yes, so you saw it on uh, VHS. I saw it on VHS later on, so I think I missed kind of the spectacle of the film, which was a big deal. Uh, and we'll talk about that later when we're going to go on about the making of the film. Uh, but yeah, it still was really impressive. I love the lines in it, apparently. Yippee ki yay! That motherfucker is yeah. one of the top hundred lines ever made sure. in, yep. in, in film, <laughs> which is really quotable. I guess it is. I do it all the time, but um, that's basically my history with the movie. I saw it all by myself because other members of my family were put off by the swearing in the film. There is a lot of swearing, like from Joe. That's kind of Bruce Willis. This is an R-rated movie. Uh, now, mind you, this movie is R-rated. The language in the... And it's There's really also funny. boobs. There's boobs. For no reason, though. It's gratuitous. I mean, it's the 80s, so there yeah. was a lot of boobs for no reason in the 80s, and right. this is an action movie, so sure. Right. But I was like, we didn't need... We did not need that. Like, for literally no, no. reason. <sighs> we'll get to it when we get to it. Okay. So what's your history of the film? I'm pretty sure this is the first time I've seen it all the way through. Okay. So what do you think? Like, I really thought that I had seen this movie. Mm-hmm. And I remember this movie. I know a lot of things about this movie. But as we were watching it, I was like, I don't think I've ever <laughs> watched this movie from the beginning to the end all at once. I feel like I've watched 20 minutes of it at a time when it was on television until it went to a commercial break and then I bounce. Right. And, and thus I'd seen... Most of the movie, but I don't think I've ever watched this movie all the way through, which is insane a little bit. I was eight when it came out. I would not have seen it at the theater. Um, it feels like a thing that my dad certainly would have rented, but I don't have a distinct memory of that. Okay. He liked to rent, he rented a lot of action movies. So that was, I remember he was, he, one thing specifically that I remember about my dad's rental proclivities was. My mom would send him out and say, bring something back for the girls, too. And he'd bring back a movie that was definitely for them. And then another movie that was definitely for them. Because I remember she pulled out Jade. And she was like, the girls can't watch this. And he goes, I guess it's another one for us. Uh, That film is... uh, My parents are awesome. Awful. Um, Yeah, I didn't watch it. Awful. So, But I I do know that it was one of uh, David Caruso's... Uh, film gambits, <laughs> I guess we can call it. But I was a kid. I was like mm. seven or eight when, I, when right. it came out or whatever. So, um, all right. So let's okay. talk about this movie. So you learned about the making of this movie. Tell me all about it. Um, it's based on a book, which is wild. Is it like a Tom Clancy situation? Yeah, Nothing lasts forever by Roderick Thorpe. It was written in 1966. Okay. Or rather, it's a sequel to a 1966 novel that he wrote. Okay. Um, and I believe the release date was in the 70s sometime. 1979. And it was a sequel to one of his earlier books, The Detective. Okay. So, John McClane is the... It was not even John McClane. Oh, okay. But that, was, that character. Right. We, we've character. renamed him fine, but that character is... Right. Okay. So... What he had written a book called The Detective, called uh, with uh, uh, the character's name is Joseph Leland, and he was play he plays an over middle aged New York cop who is going to Los Angeles 
to talk to his heroin-addicted daughter. No, we have happier turns than this one. Right, and the, the person on the other end of the line... Well, his, his kids could be heroin-addicted, but they're... Tiny. We are children, so hopefully that is not the case. So um, he goes to uh, visit her. Uh, he's lost his wife already. Okay. Um, but he was a, a older, more cynical, bitter man. And he, the story was apparently inspired by the author having watched The Towering Inferno. Right. Um, which is a film where a very tall high-rise catches on fire somewhere in the middle, and everyone's trapped at the top floors. So he got the impression he had, like he said, actually literally had a dream of a person being chased with a gun by bad guys throughout a burning building. And that was the inspiration for the book. The original book of this series, because it was a, going to be a series sort of like uh, James Bond was, for instance, uh, back when you could have, when those were popular, he uh, he was already in a film. There's a film called The Detective with Frank Sinatra. Okay. Playing this jaded, cynical, tough But by the detective. name Leopold or whatever. But, uh, Leland. Leland, sorry. And by the time they did this film in 1988, he was already in his 70s, and they offered him the part, and he's looking at them like, I mean, do you know who I am? There's like, going to be a new Indiana Jones movie right. this year. So, uh, yeah, they'll right, keep doing it. His whole <laughs> Hollywood was, doesn't learn. He didn't necessarily in his 70s he's like I've moved past running around and, and shooting things so I don't necessarily want to do this part or continue with this character but that's cool you guys go ahead and then the, the actual book was optioned by Clint Eastwood at one point who wanted to do it as a film but I think the issue would have been it would have complicated things and been too similar to Dirty Harry who's another sort of cynical person who's lost his wife right right and, and it would have as been, far as we know yes right. So it would have been too many similarities to somebody he already played, so uh, he eventually passed on that. And it got offered to everyone from Harrison Ford through Robert Redford. Harrison Ford makes a lot of sense at right, this time, for sure. Harrison Ford does do this film later on. Get off of my plane! Yes, right, right he does thing. Air Force One, right. Right, so it's very similar to what he was doing. Uh, but eventually he settled on... Which I believe they do refer to as Die Hard on a Plane. Right. <laughs> um... They eventually, they eventually uh, settled on Bruce Willis. And is this basically his first film? No, he's outside done of... romantic comedies. He oh, uh, he did a romantic. Well, what he was famous for at the time was Moonlighting. Moonlighting, right? Civil Shepherd, which was really funny, and it was a really kind of fun show. Now it turns out behind the scenes there was a lot of animosity between everyone. Here's the thing. Uh huh. I've never seen Moonlighting. I know a lot of people thought that they they was a really hot show and whatever. And uh-huh. I'm like. Those people want to murder each other. Right. Like, people were reading that tension as sexy, and I was like, someone's in danger. At the time, we didn't know. So <laughs> like, I think, it yeah. just made me, like, every scene, I've never watched an episode of mm-hmm. Moonlighting. It was on before I was really right. able to watch TV like that. Um, and my parents didn't watch it or anything like that. But when I see scenes of them, I'm just like, no, no, no. If you If you leave them alone with weapons... One of them's not coming out. Right. I'm not entirely sure who. <laughs> but I'm in, pretty sure Bruce Willis would survive. But yeah, Bruce I don't know. Willis yeah. at the time had been uh, he had done he'd done really interesting guest appearances. He appeared. I remember the first time I saw him was as a abusive. Uh, he was in witness protection. He 
was uh, turning informant against the mob in Miami, and he just beats the hell out of his wife every day. Fun. And he's being monitored by Don Johnson, who was also offered the part of John McClane, by the way. Um, yeah, that feels right. He's yeah. right in that same. So he was on television doing right. a, doing a cop at that point too, right? Yeah. So the thing is that that was the first place I saw him and thought, okay, that guy's playing a jerk, but he's really doing a great job. Yeah. Like by the end of it, his girlfriend actually pulls a gun and shoots him in front of the courthouse when he gets free. Um, and you know, like that was really satisfying. But God, that guy was really awful. But he got cast to play the part because they felt that he hit the right notes of being believable and not being Rambo on a, uh, you know, Rambo in a building, which is the way that was pitched um, to producers. But um, Yeah. But yeah, yeah, the idea that it was, you know, originally played by Frank Sinatra, but the whole thing is they changed the character, they changed the motivation. Right. He's going to go see his wife. Yeah, he, um, well, he's going to see his kids for Christmas. Right. Yes, he's he's going to his wife's party and he wants to see his right. wife. But fundamentally, he's there for the kids, right, for the holiday. Because as far as she's concerned, at least at the beginning of this movie, though she definitely still has feelings for him, mm-hmm. um, they are done. Because right. her life is in L.A. and he chose not to fucking go with them. Right. And that would make... <sighs> I, I think it, when I learned that, it made more sense. Some of the motivations for the character, he's... Older, he's embittered. He doesn't know how to start all over again. Right. And his thing mm-hmm. is, well, I've got all these open cases. And I'm like, hey, guess what? You're right. a cop. You're always going to have open cases. You could right. have them in L.A. But when you think about that, being an older man who's just having this issue, he's already lost his wife. Yeah, and it's not his decision to move. Right. So why would, I, why would I move for your career? There's, Especially in the 80s, mm-hmm. that wasn't done Right. At all, ever, hardly, right? So, but good for her for uh, taking her kids and getting the fuck out. Yeah, so <laughs> the, the uh, apparently... To go I, work for a terrible corporation, it turns right. out. But, you know, they probably In paid the well. the original book, the corporations held uh, by actual terrorists. Oh, really? They, yes. And they have a political cause, and there's a lot of things that got changed through the course of the, of the yeah, film. Yeah, this is just a multinational corporation that is evil in the ways that multinational corporations are evil. Right. This one was this very specific. <laughs> and I think what they were aiming for, aside from chasing people with guns in the building, it was much more of a gritty kind of 70s story, like uh, the taking of Pelham, one, two, three, Thank something you, like that. Um, but, but yeah, it got transformed into probably one of the bigger, very glossy action movies. And when they hired, um, Bruce Willis, one of the things that I remembered, I I learned about again today was that he wasn't even on the poster for the first film. Really? He was on the poster for quite a while because they felt that he wasn't enough of a commodity yet. Sure. So they That's kept a TV actor, so they're not going to... Come see this movie. It's in 70 millimeter. It will blow you away. And those early ads just show people staring at the screen. And that that's basically what the ad was. Oh, right. And it wasn't until the film caught on that he began appearing in the posters. That's interesting. That's interesting. Okay, anything else you want to talk about before not we get... Not yet. No, no, okay. Started? Uh-huh, no. So um, we start with... John McClane on a plane flying to L.A. for Christmas. His wife hopes he's coming, but isn't sure because this motherfucker can't communicate. 
can't communicate, can't tell his wife whether he's coming or not. So he's, she's communicating to the housekeeper, hey, it would be awesome if uh, you would set the guest room up just in case, and I can't promise my kids that he's going to be there. So that's super great. It is Christmas Eve. They're having their office party. I think that's a crime. Hey, everybody. Right. Don't force your employees to be at work on Christmas Eve. Have your Christmas party mid-December. Twelfth of the latest. <laughs> like, what are we doing? Anyways, so there's the Christmas party on, at Nakatomi Plaza. The only people in the building are on, like, what are they, 20th floor, I think? Something like that, yeah. Of the rest of the building is cleared out. There's a bunch of uh, floors above them that are under construction. The party is on the 20th floor. Um, McLean is a bad flyer, so he is told by his pa- his seat passenger, hey... When you get to where you're going, take off your shoes and socks and make fists with your feet. Grounding. It's a grounding exercise yeah. um, to get over feeling uh, like uh, any kind of di- all the displacement that right. we feel by flying through the air at thousands of miles per hour. Way, we're not meant to fly through the air. <laughs> nope. Nope. Not uh, yep. at all. And we're used to spinning around at a very specific pace <laughs> and flying. Is not that pace. Um, so he does, he goes to the party. He he decides that he's going to meet her there. I don't know why he doesn't just go to the house. I mean, it's good. It turns out it's good that he doesn't go to the house. But he goes to the party. She's thrilled to see him. You can tell that they're still in love. They fight immediately because they're still in love. And uh, then he does take off his shoes and make little fists with his feet. And thus, he is barefoot for the rest of the movie. Apparently, in Japan, the film is known as something... I can't remember the exact title of it. It was advertised as uh, The Reluctant Hero, I think. And the ad line for the film was, He Has No Shoes. That's hilarious. And in the sequel, Die Hard 2, or The Reluctant Hero 2 as they knew it, the ad line was, now he has shoes. <laughs> Which is... I mean, there have also been... There have, there have been a number of taglines for this sh- movie after the fact, right? Right. Not real taglines, but like, watch one man... Watch what one man can do to one tank top. White tank top. Because right. <laughs> he is just... At, for most of this movie, he's just wearing a wife beater. Not a great term. That's what it is. So white... Um, Ribbed. And we'll see the film that inspired that later on when we watch um, Chinatown. And he mm-hmm. and he uh, he ends up taking it off at some point. Now this is also you can tell it's the eighties because what is he not ripped? An ab? What's that? Well, he's, <laughs> he's not. He's fit. Out of shape he's in not any way. Any ridiculous. But he's not dehydrated. Shape cut of the bread. way that now they would require him to be yeah. cut to be shirtless on screen. Because if there's not abs, what will we do with ourselves? Right. Stupid. Anyways, <laughs> I just wanted to point that out. Uh, and while he is. Sitting, waiting in his wife's office. She has taken over previ- her previous name. So she's Ms. What is it? Gerano. Gerano. Yep. Gennaro. Gennaro. I'm sorry. 
scoops the N and the R. Janeiro. I was like, I don't remember that name. Miss Janeiro is how she refers to herself in, through, through the film to give herself some distance, and it's on her wall or on her door. Um, and as he's waiting, he hears gunfire. Right. Which he knows is out of place. Now, also, this is a, such a pre-9-11 film. It's obscene. Yeah. He's got a gun on the plane. He's got his shoulder holster and his service weapon with him. And this is a world that, and this is something I talked to my, my uh, co-workers about who are all young people. It is very hard to explain to people the differences in the world once upon a time and now. And yes, when you're watching a film like The Twilight Zone, the older Twilight Zone, and then the was it, There's a Man on the Wing of the Plane, right? He steals a gun from not an air marshal, but a cop who's escorting a prisoner on the plane Another and thing, shoots but, out the window. But at least that makes sense. Mm -hmm. To me, right. what does a New York cop need his service weapon for outside of New York City? Right, exactly. You have no jurisdiction. So why are you carrying a gun to your, in his your wife's his person? Your estranged wife's right. home for Christmas? Right. That is every red flag you could fucking right. That's a cop going to an ex's on a holiday. No 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 no. He's a family annihilator. I'm just like, what are you doing with the you don't need that gun? I mean it turns out he needs the gun. Right. But he absolutely did not need that. Well, there's so much you could read into that. It's like, gosh, he's insecure. I mean, yes, a hundred percent. But here's the thing, though. But like, with John McClane's that character is what Clint Eastwood and what Frank's what these people were planning to do was make it closer to the book, where he's very cynical, and he took a turn and just made him a very likable person. So you're able to go, yeah, he's insecure, and he would admit that that he's insecure, because later he does have a moment where he just admits, I make dumb decisions. I do stupid things. I'm incapable of communicating. <laughs> like, that was really... Have you been to a therapist? <laughs> right. Because, damn. very weirdly accurate in assessing his own problems. Right. Especially yeah. for an 80s action hero. And I'm going, okay, I understand why this guy caught on with people. Yeah. Because you didn't see that back then. You barely see it now. Yeah. it was. But I was just like, what do you need right. that for? You do not, in any way, need that gun. Sir. Um, yeah, no, 100% Family Annihilator. Um, but he has, so he has his gun, and he, um, goes up. Mm -hmm. He goes up, floors above, to get out of the line of fire. And then we find out who the bad guys are, kind of. Main the bad guy, rest in peace. Alan Rickman is Hans Gruber. So good. Right. This is pre, um... Sheriff of Nottingham, which is one of my favorite of his performances in uh, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. I think Alan Rickman like, steals that movie. <laughs> I think he's so good. Uh, I think he's hilarious. Right. <laughs> um, oh, I did just... Oh, I wanted to bring this to your attention. I, uh, there's a meme that's been going around, and it's this... Um, one day on the set of Galaxy Quest, Tim Allen, like after, the, after they finished the scene, was like, I don't... I don't like all these feelings that I'm having. I'd like to go to my trailer for a little while. And Rickman's response was, I think he just experienced acting for the first time. <laughs> I'm like, 
Yeah, that's probably right. Apparently, he um, was really weirdly playful. Yeah, with his coworkers. Who was it that I said? Oh, it was um, it was some. It was Justin Long, mm-hmm. also on Galaxy Quest. So somebody got to Alan Rickman that Justin Long was like really nervous about working with Alan Rickman, right. and Rickman sent him like. A bouquet of flowers or something on for on his first day or whatever, and right. a, and oh, and a beautiful card that was like handmade, like right. this gorgeous card, and in beautiful penmanship on the inside, he just wrote "fucking coward." <laughs> and I'm like, well, that'll break some ice. Right. I mean, like it's really putting who you are out front. He seems like, yeah, such a lovely acerbic. I remember the first time, and this was the part that got him recognition. Uh, he there was a BBC adaptation of uh, Anthony Trollope's Barchester Chronicles, and he plays a clergy in name only who's desperately trying to marry rich Obadiah Slope. Like if that name doesn't what a good name, a You're right? But the only he, other Obadiah I'm familiar with is the Jeff. Um, Bridges' character in the Iron right, Man yeah, movies. Yeah, that's the villainous of the <laughs> yeah. Sharps uh, series with uh, Sean, uh, Sean Bean is also oh, an, an Obadiah. He's a crazy. That's a great. That was Pete Postlethwaite's part. Oh, okay. Like, yeah. Oh, he ran away with that part. I mean, he's absolutely off his nut. Talks to a picture of his mom that he keeps in the, t- the bottom of his hat. That guy. <laughs> he's also an Obadiah. But anyhow, yeah, yeah. Alan Rickman. I think the. There are times when... Because he does have a character that he's cast for. Right? Yes. And after this film, he's cast a lot as that sort of oily villain. And but there's nothing really oily about him, though. This guy? Nah. Mm. Nah. I don't know. He smells amazing. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? No, I don't mean he <laughs> smells bad. I'm just saying that he seems very oily and that he's very slippery and very hard to hold on to. Uh, sure, I don't I don't I, the term oily does not conjure for me what it conjures right. for you, I think. Um but oh, we should say. Mhm. So Hans Gruber and his um group, his team have entered the building. He is a German radical. He's posing as a terrorist. I would argue um, once you behave terroristically, <laughs> you are in fact now if you're a terrorist. Behaving with a, in a terroristic fashion, you yeah, are a, I would, therefore you are a terrorist. I would argue that now, and there's there's a good question: whether you like it or yeah. not, does a terrorist, a terrorist have to have a political designation, or are they just people who cause terror? They're, yeah, well, that's the thing. Right? Because I have like exes that cause terror. But the other person we need to talk about real quick. Uh-huh. Is the limo driver that picked oh, John McClane up? His name is Argyle. He's a young black man. Uh, John McClane forced his way into the front seat of the limo, which is fucking weird. Um, and he is just chilling in the like car park while this is happening. Right. You guys, don't worry. Argyle is fine. He makes it to the end of the movie. He was like my puppy. You know what I mean? Right. I was like. Is this well, adorable child going to make it interesting how many black characters there are in this film that survive? All of them. Right. Fun- yeah. Fundamentally, there are. No, I don't think there's anybody black with the terrorists. They're German. Right. That doesn't mean there Which can be no black people. But because when the film was distributed in Germany, 
they're international terrorists. Yeah, or they're they Europeans. Are. They're not Germans yes. at all. Hans Gruber. Right. Although Hans could be, he could be Scandinavian. Right. Yeah. In the book, apparently, it's an international group of men and women. Right. I hear it's German for some reason. So what they're there doing? Oh, and the, oh, there is the the um, Theo mm-hmm. that is with them, right. and he is there. He's the black member of the of the team breaking in, and he gleefully kills people and uh, is by, also a hacker. So Gilliard, who <laughs> most people remember after season after season playing the the acting half of Chuck Norris and. <laughs> And Clarence Gilliard as the two Texas Rangers and Walker, Texas Ranger. Oh, I didn't watch that show. So right. I did not know him. He was, the, him. He, I mean, he yeah. was real charismatic in this, though. Like, yeah. And, and the, like, um, was it John McTiernan that, that directed yeah. it? Really loved him. Yeah. Maybe maybe it was also, was it, is this a Jan de Bont cinematography situation? Could be. I think so. I think he played it. It is. Um, they loved him on screen like and he's constantly he's very active even when he's sitting at a computer typing like his body is he's like bopping around and he's moving like he's very watchable Uh, and i have to say having watched a lot of walker texas stranger when i was younger because again this you know is a martial artist it was funny how really well he was able to bring stuff out of chuck norris who was notoriously stoic huh and so having a guy who was always moving, always like kind of winking and making cracks and comments and things like that, they worked really well together. And that's probably why they stayed together, as, you know, on as this on-screen duo for such for a long so time. so long, yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So um, they're coming in. Mm-hmm. They take out the security on the first floor. They get into the, the, um, the guts of the building. Fundamentally, what right. they're there for... Is six hundred and forty million dollars in bearer bonds. Um, which doesn't seem like that much money. Honestly, like that's that's what inflation has done to me. Right. Is I'm just like six hundred forty million. That's it. Untraceable. So there's that. Tax free. It's in the vault. <laughs> the vault has seven locks. Right. Six of them. They know they can get through the seventh. There's a. So this is a heist film. It's a heist film. The seventh has a, a like a there's a interceding factor mm-hmm. and they they're going to need somebody from the company to get them through it. Um, he so Theo's working on that. Right. Uh, McLean's up above trying to figure out what the fuck's going on. Gruber and the other people, the, his the rest of his team, and there's a bunch of them have taken over the party. This is um, when we see the boobs. Right. Because there was a couple that, I think it was Ellis and the, and that blonde woman, had broken or had, had come into Holly's office looking for a place to, to have sex when they found McLean there. I'm like, you're going into your boss's office? You are idiots. You are, can't be this drunk already. They go to another office to do that, which we know that they're going to do. And when they get pulled out, she's topless. And I'm just like, for no reason. You didn't need to have that woman right. be whatever. It just really was upset. I was like, we didn't need that. We we knew what was going to happen. We absolutely didn't need that. Um, Takagi, the sort of head of the office, uh, is brought in front of uh, Gruber, Hans mm-hmm. Gruber, and uh, does not give him the information that he wants. And so he is 
summarily executed. Like, it is very early in this movie we find out, oh, this guy doesn't give a fuck. Right. And does not like give the, a fuck like about hostages, doesn't give a fuck about anything. As, as You're not going to beg for your way out of this. He does not care. If you can't get him closer to his money, right. you are an obstacle and he does not care I think about the, you. The, that scene was played out really well. Yeah. And you're playing it out with James Shigeta, who was a great... Oh, he was Japanese incredible. Yeah, he's actor. great. Yeah. Um, he, the Crimson Kimono, the first film about an interracial romance that happened in the States with an actual Japanese actor, instead of having a... An, you know, oh, A Japanese-American? No, having or another just... actor dressed in oriental makeup, oh, which used to happen. Of course um, it did. But, uh, but yeah, at his scene with... Uh, with, and it's it's playing really well because it's him and it's um, Alan Rickman and Alexander Gudinov, who is just in the background glowering. It's yeah. most of his part in this film. He's like a flare. That's that you the pull one the, with whose brother is right. killed, right? Yeah. It's like a flare that you pull the cap off of. That's basically what he's at the entire film. Yeah, he's got a very low key sense of Lemmy Adam, right. but also he's not. He's not hyper in any way, that yeah. that actor. I think they're alerted to the fact that he's in the building because he's using a police frequency to try and get help. Right. He being John McClane. He gets through to 911. They tell him that this is for emergencies only and to get off the line or they're going to arrest him. And he's like, great, come and fucking get me because shit is going down There's and a, you're not doing anything. There's a really funny scene where he can't get past the 911 dispatcher. It's so annoying. But it's, it <laughs> felt completely accurate. Yeah, 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 yeah 100%. Out. You're like, oh, bureaucracy. At its fucking fine. It's like, hey, bitch, don't you think he understands what's happening? This is an emergency. It's played very well, though, because it's like, no, sir, this is a police line <laughs> to be used by police officers. You're going to... And it... Yeah, it plays really yeah. well. And so they pick that up. Mm -hmm. So then Tony, apparently his name is, gets sent up to deal with McLean. McLean deals with Tony. I'm like, take his shoes. And he does try to take his shoes. But that dude's feet are too small. So um, there's a, yeah, that's one of the sort of famous lines is like, of all the terrorists, I, and I kill the one with feet smaller than my sister or something like that. <laughs> um, so still... No shoes, everybody. For those of you keeping track, still no shoes. Also, Tony um, is sent back down on an elevator with, now I have a machine gun, ho, 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 written in marker on his shirt. Um, so now McLean had one gun. Now he has two, two guns. Uh, uh, uh. <laughs> Out in the world, that police call did kind of do something. They're like, hey... Send a, a unit over to take a look, and a unit is sent over. That unit is Al Pal, played, excuse me, by TV Dad, <laughs> right, <laughs> Reginald Val Johnson. Um, I got confused. I didn't realize his name was Powell because the way that Bruce Willis says his name, I thought he was saying Pal every time. <laughs> so that's. Just something Powell that might happen thing to that you. Bruce Willis said all the time, anyhow. Right. Yes. It felt very natural that he'd be like, hey, pal, hey, pal. Right. But he was saying Powell, as in the officer's name. <laughs> um, you know, unless he wasn't. I don't know. <laughs> you guys be the judge. Uh, and 
Every, he's like, everything looks good. Oh, maybe it doesn't look good. Let me go take a look. And then they do shoot at him, and he does. He th- he shoots at him. McLean shoots to try oh, to that's right. like, get his attention. And then, and then, and then all hell breaks loose, right. yeah. Um, and he gets back. He, like, reverses back mm-hmm. out of, off of a ledge. It's a whole situation. But he's fine, you guys. He's fine. Right. Because what we said before, all the good guys that are black live. <laughs> uh, and he calls for backup so now backup's coming because originally um, there was a fire like he tried to start a fire right um, but then that was they, they called it off and then this happened so now Reginald L. Johnson is there he is a beat cop but he's smarter than most beat cops right. we find out later yeah why he is still a beat cop um, but yeah, that was my thing. I was like, this dude actually isn't an idiot. And and then everybody in the suits rest, that come in right. that are quote unquote un- in charge are all idiots. Right. They're all. I think largely it's not even just that they're stupid, d- like dumb people. Right. They are men who have been put in charge and will not be taken out of charge. And so what they say goes, even if they don't fucking know what to do. I think it's funny in that, and I know that I make this comparison a lot to the most inappropriate things, it seems. It's Dickensian, in a way, in that there's just these layers of idiots that you have to deal with. These people who... And we see over and over and over again in these movies, it's dog day afternoon again. It's just police making... Terrible fucking decisions. Right. The, the and we see it happen all the time in there's news. There's like a, a flaky pastry levels of stupidity. Yeah. And it's not that these people are necessarily evil. Um, it's just that, well, aside from Hans Gruber, these are people who just, as you said, are holding on to what they have. Don't you dare question me. Yeah. And then I'm the in charge here. people come. Yeah. And it's like, well, now we're and in charge. And they are straight up monsters. They are <laughs> sociopathic monsters. This movie was put out right. as a hit against the FBI. Like, the the, the way that people talk, mm-hmm. the, the way that these FBI um, agents talk about how many hostages they're cool with just losing right. is literally sociopathic. But it's also played, like I said, in, when I mentioned... It's almost done as a joke, but I'm just like... When I'm saying Dickensian, it's like, yeah, they're even given weird names, Johnson and Johnson, which was my favorite. I fucking laughed out loud when he said, that's my, I'm Agent Johnson, that's Special Agent Johnson, no relation, they're black and white. Um, And I was like, how is that not, how did I not know that that was a line in this movie? Because that shit is hilarious. That is the yeah. funniest fucking in a script when you have all of these fucking names. Right. And you come up with Johnson and Johnson. No relation. And they're, they're those two who really play it well. I oh, mean, they're hilarious, but they are. Oh, yeah, they're playing psychopaths. Completely. Robert psychopath. Dobby is another guy who, you know, he's the one who's playing the Vietnam vet. Mm. It's like, this reminds me of Saigon. Do you remember the other guy he's talking to? He's like, a I kid. Was, oh, yeah. I was in high school. Yeah, you no, <laughs> I don't. But, yeah, they, they have real fun with how 
really loony and over the top these characters are. Oh, that no, that's what happens. That's right. He comes up. He drives up close. He doesn't see anything wrong. He comes in. Right. They let him in. Then they let him out. And then as he's pulling out, McLean drops a dead terrorist on his right. car. And then they open fire on him because they're like, well... The cat's out of the proverbial bag because during this time, I don't know how many people McLean kills in this movie, but it's a lot. It's most people. All all the people. Most of all the people on the earth, I think. Most of the people in the movie, anyhow. Um, we see Holly, who is just trying to keep her people together. She's um, basically in charge. She's basically second in command, and Takagi is dead. She has a really funny line, too. Yeah. It's like, what idiot put you in charge? You did. You did when you killed my boss. Right, exactly. <laughs> And she says, and she's, and she's saying things like, um, we have a pregnant woman. Mm-hmm. Can I put her in an office to, to lay down? And then they, he says, no, but we'll bring a couch out to her. She's like, that's fine. Um, and then unless you want a mess, you should start taking us in groups to bathrooms. Right. Like she's really. Right. I mean, she's doing what is very likely her job in the company, which is taking care of solving shit. Right. No, not even just taking care of people, well, but, but like I mean, she, solving issues. The, she, these are the issues, and we're gonna. She solve. knows that her husband also is out there. She's overheard conversations. She does. She knows John is. She knows that's who's killing. Because right. they're not being quiet about the fact that they're dying. Yeah. The elevator opens to them, like yeah. with the with the dude, and it says, "I have a machine gun now." And then she's like, "That's my John. husband." <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Unfortunately, someone else knows it's her husband, and that's Ellis. See, and that's what I mean by Dickensian. It's like there are layers of villains here. There's yes. Ellis, right? Ellis, There's yeah. also William Atherton's character, who's a reporter, mm-hmm. who hears this That's right. Hears we, this case going on, and then he becomes a villain, too. So yeah. it's really about individuals. Yeah, we do have, we have outside, we have people, right. uh, uh, um, a second bit news anchor who isn't an anchor. He wants to be an anchor. Um, who basically, st- he doesn't steal a news van, but he basically forces right. his way into getting a news van so that he can be on site to cover this. Um, and then we have Ellis, who is right. a sales guy at Nakatomi Corporation and decides that he's going to schmooze and hey baby, oh, God. Hans Gruber. Any man who calls you booby. I I can't deal. I'm sorry. I'm just like I understand that that is a a genre of man. <laughs> Ellis is a genre of man. Yes. And Ellis is a very we see him snorting coke earlier right. in his boss's office again. What the fuck, guys? It's a Christmas party. People aren't going to have amnesia the next day, you dipshits. Don't fuck in your boss's office and don't do cocaine off of her desk. Anyways. Stupid. Bad decisions. Um... He decides... He's he's a genre of man who is very successful Uh in sales. And I don't understand it. And I don't... here's, Here's why he's successful. Because the only other people in sales or in those positions are other men like him. Right. Because you put that room, that man in a room with me, and he's not going to sell me fuck all. No. I'm not buying shit from him because I don't fucking trust him as soon as I see his smarmy face, but certainly as soon as he, he opens his mouth. He reminds me of one of the losers in Glengarry Glen Ross. You know, yeah, these guys it's who... just 
I'm just like, no, yeah, I don't can't. trust you uh-huh. in any way. No, yeah. So uh, I will not be doing business with you or your company. Okay, bye. It's, but he creates like, uh, I guess, uh, William But Madison's, it's these men uh-huh. building these fake pyramids right. to the sun that then disintegrate into the housing market co- right. collapse. Like, it's... No, no, these people exist. <laughs> it's these people who are in charge of shit. Right. Who fucking shouldn't be in charge of shit because they're coked out dipshits. (laughs) I'd like to point to Sam Bankman Freed. Same thing, younger generation. The dude that just basically caused the collapse of cryptocurrency, which is fine because that's a fucking shell game, anyways. Um, But just at an Adderall laden brain thinking he can just do whatever the fuck he wants because he's a white dude who's always been able to do whatever the fuck he wants. And it's just like, at some point, your luck runs out. And today is Ellis's last day because Ellis goes to Hans and he's like, the guy that you're looking for above us, because obviously uh-huh. he is my friend from college, I can talk him down. No problem. Now, to his credit, he doesn't give away the fact that he knows that this is... He doesn't. Right. That is because that is, he wants the credit. Right, exactly. And John beg, literally begs him, tell this man that you don't know me because right. he's now, going to kill you. John is, what I, we should bring up to, for that context is that he's talking to both uh, Powell. Powell, yes. On the phone. On he's, the, he's yes, in, on the radio. In, yeah. On the radio. In constant contact with him, then he realizes that he's being listened to. Yes, and they can communicate with each other. So that's a really interesting setup because that way he's communicating with the outside. He is communicating with the outside. Which is also how the newspaper, or how the, yes. not, excuse me, not newspapers, were in 1988. The, the, uh, the, the, the news. The news. The TV news gets yeah. a hold of TV, yeah. that new invention. And then, so... We right, because they can pick up right. frequencies. They're just doing radio frequencies. Because he's taking that phone and now it's going to be uh, just these conversations that go on between them. Yeah. We haven't seen each other yet, but that's important. So, yeah, no, that's true. Right. Um, so he's like, I'm not coming out. Like, no. Mm-hmm. And he does really beg Ellis to disavow his relationship. Right. Which Ellis refuses to do. And then Ellis is shot unceremoniously in the face. Because, again, as we've seen with, you know. You are not helping me. Right. I don't need to worry about you. I can just kill you and be done with it. Because he's not... That's... The the problem is... And... Uh, Gruber even makes a joke about it. When the FBI arrives, he asks for the, the release of political prisoners from... Names of political he just, organizations he re- heard about on television. Heard about on television. He doesn't really, To make him look like a terrorist. Right. Even though he doesn't give a fuck about any of that. Right. He's no. just here for the $640 million in bear bonds, please and thank you. Um, there's a very cool scene. Um, so there's C4, mm-hmm. and uh, John has it now. <laughs> he has well, he has the detonators, which is important <laughs> if you want to use the C4. C4 is just a lump of plastic if you don't have a detonator. So John has the, the detonators. Um. I don't know if he's carrying them on his person or if he's he's mm. hidden them, I think. Um, and Gruber goes to look at, to check out some explosives. And uh, John McClane finds him. Oh! And he instantly is like, please 
<laughs> down there. Like he goes right into right. acting. He's like, I got away, but I don't know where I'm going, and this that, and the other. And John gives Cooper a gun. He gives him his handgun. Is it the is it the yeah. handgun? Um and then as they're walking, Cooper does attempt to shoot John and uh that gun was empty because <laughs> uh He's not a fucking idiot. So that's what I'll say for John McClane. He's not an idiot. He's not a genius. No. He's not an idiot. Um, but now, I know what the fuck you look like. Right. And I think that scene was really necessary because so far, and throughout the rest of the film up until the very end, we have them communicating through phones. So that face-to-face confrontation was really, that kind of ratcheted it up a little bit. Yeah. Um, and then the other terrorists show up. Mm-hmm. There's a shootout. McLean gets out. He's injured by glass. And then he also loses the detonators. Outside then, FBI's rolling up. Johnson and Johnson. Hilarious. There's that order of, I want, yeah, I want these people in these different countries released. Right. And I want a helicopter on the roof. Passenger transport helicopter because they want to take the hostages with them yeah. is what they tell the FBI. They just are wait. They're just buying time because they need to get into this vault, and there is a set amount of time it's going to take to get into the vault. Um, and at that, the last thing, if they can't get in, like they didn't get the info they needed to open the seventh lock, so they're just going. Hopefully, if they can get those detonators, blow the shit out of it. Uh, I believe is the plan. Which I don't know why you don't just. Well, the plan also because what it hinged on was getting the electrical grid shut. That's right. Yes, and that's what the FBI does now. Right, they do it, and that's what Clarence Gilliard's character is like. Well, how are you going to get through that seventh lock? Oh, that's right. You, he's got to get all the right. way up to the seventh one, and then Gruber's like, "We got to get the power turned off." Because the whole system just shuts down. Right, and there's a backup system because the power has shut off earlier, but the lights are still going. Yeah. Because it has its own generator. Yeah. And I thought that adding that touch was really clever because suddenly it goes, oh, then they really did have a plan going into this. This wasn't just there muscling was backup, our way backup. through. Yeah, no, they, they right. had I mean, this is a good plan. It's and a, they would have absolutely succeeded this time. if John McClane wasn't in the building. Right. This made me look at it this time with different eyes going, this is not just a, a goofy action movie. No, no, no. It's a, it's a heist film. There's it's a, a heist film. Set, they you know, had it set. a lot of action to it, but still. And had, had McClane not been there, mm-hmm. none of those terrorists would have died right. because they didn't give up any kind of right. fight and nobody in the office right. gave up any kind of fight, they would have just taken their hostages, done what they needed to do, and gotten the fuck out. I think um, the James Shigeta character would have been killed. I think that would have probably been the only casualty of it. Probably. Um, but as it is, and now, Ellis, if he decided to be an asshole, well, because Ellis, really, I just don't just think Hans Ellis, just right. wants to give no. any kind of. I like he just doesn't. He's just not going to deal with you. Um. So, the FBI orders the power shut off, which he had anticipated. Disabled the final lock, then they can get the bonds. Da 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 da. The FBI also agreed to the demand for the helicopter. But what they send instead of a passenger transport is gunships. And they're like, right. be careful, he's expecting passenger transport, not gunships. Um, and this that's when they're talking to each other about, 
do you remember so and such and such a nom and then he's like fucking no and then they're talking about we're, we're probably gonna lose like 25 hostages and he's like that's a number I can deal with and it's like what the fuck <laughs> it's very and upsetting they name Johnson and Johnson because they're just a pair of dicks there's no way else around that <laughs> which is again what makes it funny is the play on words it's yeah a lot wittier than I thought it was or that I remembered actually and the, all the C4 mm-hmm. the plan is to blow the roof right Thus faking his team's deaths and killing all the hostages. Right. Um, and so as the hostages are being led up, he's on the roof fucking... Basically, he ends up firing his gun at them to get them off the roof, which then draws the fucking fire from the FBI. Mm-hmm. And he's like yelling, I'm on your side! <laughs> But they don't care. They yeah. don't know what's going on. They do know what's going on. That's the other thing. They know what's going on because Powell has been telling them right. what's going on. They think that this that the McLean is just like, I don't know, a rogue terrorist? I don't know what the fuck. They just don't. I'm like, well, get his information and, and put it out. New York will tell you who the fuck he is. Right, exactly. He's not giving you a fake name. Well, the information does get out, which is how the television reporter... Yes, right. Yes, that's right. The television reporter then interviews his kids. He interviews his kids, and the way he gets into his home, being... I forgot about that. ...is to threaten their housekeeper with INS... That's right. So the housekeeper is a Spanish speaker. He's charming, then. And then he... um, Yeah, he interviews... Their kids and their kids are like four and six. Yeah, they're really young. Um, it's fucked up. He gets punched later, not by McLean, by Gennaro. But then she calls herself McLean, so maybe, maybe by McLean. Um, we have to keep in mind that Carl, long haired, looking like Nelson from the eighties, Carl. Wants to kill John McClane because John McClane killed his brother, Tony. Mm-hmm. And uh, Goober is keeping him on a fairly short leash because he's like, no, no, no. I understand what you want. I also don't give a fuck. <laughs> so when it becomes okay for me to send you off to kill him, I will do that. But until then, you need to calm the fuck down. Right. He does let him go a couple of times and he fails to kill him. He fails to die as well. Like, it's a... You know, he's trying very hard. Um, So he... uh, McLean drives the hostages off the roof just before um, the roof is detonated and destroys that helicopter. So Johnson & Johnson, that's a wrap. It's a... They're gone. That's a a film wrap on Johnson & Johnson. Thank you. Everybody clap. Meanwhile... Another one of them goes down to pick up the escape vehicle from the parking garage. But Argyle comes in to the rescue and drives his son home to the side of the van. Which is actually really satisfying because Clarence Gilliard's character is such a jerk. He makes quips with the police or the, to the officers who are in the armored tanker coming up the steps of the building to try yeah. to set them on fire with like a rocket launcher. Rocket launcher, yeah. Yeah. They're really um, indiscriminate with right. their killing. It, like, they really, really are. Um, then McLean finds Holly and Gruber and does sort of surrender himself so that she can go. Uh-huh. 
Um, and he's about to be shot, but then behind his back, what's that? Service pistol from New York. <laughs> Shouldn't have it in California, but he does. Because <laughs> it was pre-9-11 and you can put that shit on a plane. Um, and he uses the last two bullets. He knows how many bullets he has. To shoot Hans Gruber and kill the other one. Mm-hmm. He takes the other one out. He, I'm sure he would have liked to kill both of them, but he's very fucked up at this point. He's bleeding from everywhere. Right. Like, he's a mess. There's, like, Bruce Willis, and then just a step above that is Jim Caviezel and Passion of the Christ. Yeah, right. In just, terms of mm, actors yeah. who just go through a film covered in their own blood. Covered in their own blood. Their, um, the, the I would like to add Charlie Theron in... Oh, yeah. Atomic Blonde? Atomic Blonde, yes. yes. There we go. <laughs> where I feel like the opening shot of that movie where she's bathing and covered right. in bruises was Charlize's idea, right. and she's like, no, no, no. I got them. Fucking film them. <laughs> Um, and he, oh, he gets Gruber through the window and he grabs onto the watch. He grabs onto whose watch, though? Uh, It was Holly's Holly's watch. Mm -hmm. That's right. And, uh, John reaches over and clasps that bitch. And then, ah, he falls down. Outside, and maybe even the fucking reporter was like, "No, it's the detective." Right. He's like, "I he's hope like, I hope that was a terrorist." <laughs> um, which, and then they all, when he lands, can you even hear it? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, oh. you don't, I didn't need to see that, so I'm glad. Uh, Some and then, shown. and then fucking Carl coming back, <laughs> coming back, um. To ambush McLean and Holly as they're coming out. Uh-huh. But Al Powell, Carl, <laughs> the dad from Family Matters, pulls his gun, which he has not fired since he accidentally shot a child. That is why he is a B cop. And kills Carl in one! <laughs> Something that, that that John McClane could not do throughout the entire film, no matter how hard he tried. They're to just kill like, Carl. Oh, yeah, Carl is like, like a tank. <laughs> he just doesn't stop. Which is funny. Carl is played by Alexander Gudnoff, uh-huh. who was a member of the uh, the Bolshoi Ballet. He was one of the premier performers. He escaped. He seems bulkier than somebody who would well, be in well, ballet. I think that he, he was probably... Less bulky as when he was performing. Well, yes, they do have a tendency to literally starve their dancers. So then he moved to the United States and, or he, rather, I'm sorry, he defected to the United States. (laughs) That's one way of moving. Right. (laughs) And uh, he was here with several ballet companies before he decided he wanted to try acting. And so he appears in films like Witness in this film. Um, He tried very hard. There's a really funny performance he gives in a goofy Tom Hanks film with Shelley Long called The Money Pit. I love The Money Pit. Where he plays her, uh, Shelley Long's narcissistic new boyfriend, who is a, a composer, and he's just really funny. And he, new boyfriend. They're yeah. together in that movie. I'm or confused. old boyfriend. I'm Maybe previous. Because isn't Shelley Long, and I think they're together. They're a couple. In the, it might be her ex. That seems be. right. Right. 
Oh, yeah, he's the third listed. I don't remember, though. I watched that movie a lot, though, when I was a kid. It was on all the time. But, yeah, he's a, he's a very interesting performer. And, um, and, yeah, he was capable of giving a lot of interesting performances. Unfortunately, he's also no longer with us. Uh, but I, I think, yeah, his slow fuse thing that he did here yeah. was really good. Yeah, yeah, I like that. I like that movie a lot. Um, and then, so they're they're out. They didn't die because of Carl. Um, the journalist Tumberg comes up. Holly punches him because she did see her kids right. on the news. And that's not fucking okay. So she does punch him right in the face. And I'm like, mm, he's definitely gonna press charges. That's fine. Um, which I think we do see something about that later. And then. Mm. Um, Argyle busts through the whole mess uh-huh. and takes them home. Dun, dun, dun. Oh, they play Christmas music. because it's Chris- Christmas. More Christmas music. More Christmas music, you guys, because it's a Christmas movie, I guess. Um, so that's Die Hard. Period. End of sentence. <laughs> so, uh, did you find it thrilling? I did. Okay, good. Um, I will say... It's long. It is two hours and 12 minutes long. Mm. And when we started, I was like, I'm sorry, what? (laughs) That's... There are a lot of characters in this film. There are a lot of characters in this film. each character seems to get their own scene. At least. Right? So even there's like really good performance. Reginald Bell Johnson, who... Honestly, if it was me, uh, I would cut out the news... Arc, uh, arc. arc history. I just, you could just pull it right out and you wouldn't mm. really lose anything. Except maybe like 12 minutes of movie. Um, it's just, it didn't it didn't feel long. Uh-huh. But by the end of it, I was like, yeah, I'm done I'll with tell this. you what. First, I'll go on to say Reginald Bell Johnson, who is a comic actor, or we know him as a comedian, actually does a really good performance here that goes both comedy and serious. He's really good. The scene where he's recounting it having shot a child yeah. and it's not done in a theatrical no. way. It's done in a very plain two guys talking kind he's of way. He's just like, this is what it is. This is what I did. I need and to tell you because you, well, because now he knows this guy's life kind of is right. depending on me and I'm trying to get everybody around me to understand what the fuck is happening, right. but they won't. So I, I, I am going to interact with the only other person who does know what the fuck is going on here, and that's you. That's him. So, yeah. But in terms of the television report and that whole story arc, I think that's important because it brings home the idea that in the end, she's Mrs. McLean. Yes. And that's how she announces herself. And that's how she announces herself when she comes out, yeah. Um, Which I'm like, no, no, hon, you don't want to get back together with him. But he does. But he also has a scene where he's able to. And I think the thing is, no one saw this as going on in the franchise forever and ever. No, that's true. So to them, this his confession about not being able. No, to... No, they should definitely fuck tonight. Right. They should definitely have an awesome right like holiday with their kids. Absolutely. And then in three or four days, he gets on a plane, goes back the fuck to New York, and then you got, then you guys can figure it out. Right. But you can't just go from this into well, they're not, we're reconciled. They're not divorced. No, I know, thing, right? but I'm. But yeah, 
So, but overall, you liked the film. Overall, I did like the film. Yeah, I did. Yes. Um. Although I guess she go back now to New York because is she gonna stay in Nagatomi? Probably not. <laughs> I mean, maybe. Well, there's nothing left of Nagatomi. Well, the building. It's a that building. Right. But Which it's a funny. multinational company. There is stuff. When still I saw available. the promotional film about the making of this film, right, and I, I can post that. Uh, one of the interesting points was, first of all, how little time he spent with Bruce Willis, because again, he's an actor who did Blind Date with Kim Basinger, and he did like comedy films, Sunset or something, I think, with uh, James Garner, and he was just nobody knew what his commercial value was. Ah. Uh. And so, of the whole documentary that I saw in the making of the film, most of it is spent with, we're going to blow up a real building inside of Universal uh, City. Oh, interesting. And look at the explosives we have to use. And here's the special effects guy, and here's the other, you know, the one thing they didn't cover, and I guess because it was the climactic scene is Hans Gruber's death. Yeah. Which is notorious because that Alan fall Rickman does a 40-foot fall onto a pad. That's a long way, but you you're there. They filmed him from above right. for a lot of it, so I guess he wouldn't have had was, to fall yeah. a distance. So he had to fall a distance, and Richard Edlund and, and the, the but guys, even a pat that's gonna hurt. Forty feet's a long. That's four stories, right? But Ooh. he was very nervous about it, and so can't imagine why <laughs> they put him on a line, and then they sort of let him go, right? Right. On the count of three, we're gonna let you go. One, two, and they cut him loose. And the idea was, if we wait till three, he's going to screw up his face, yeah. his eyes, and Although, punch his gut up. Honestly, then, right? No, the fuck he wouldn't have, because he's a professional. But also, let him go on. I, see, I don't know <laughs> that anybody is so professional. Po- it is possible that, that yeah, he couldn't over. That. Yeah, he couldn't overcome his his right instinctual reaction that, to falling. Yeah, look on his face is priceless because you're looking that's at it going, oh, legitimate. that's that's that's, real. that's really him terrified. Um, but they also arranged that the last day of filming because they thought if he's so pissed off at it that he refuses to show up to work the next day, that's completely understandable. Yeah, correct. What happens? He hits that mat, right. and that's a wrap on Rickman. Everybody right. give him a round so, of yeah, applause because he. Yeah, he's done now. Right. <laughs> At least for today. Fuck all and I y'all. understand why they needed to even have that as the last shot in the film and why that shot was important because in instances like this earlier on in films, you saw them cut away to what's a dummy or a, yeah. a stuntman or something. Yeah, and in this one, you see him fall, right. and then you see him from away right. falling down, or you see somebody falling or something falling. But then it goes behind another building, so right. you don't see the landing. Yeah, and but what they wanted was I want to have that connection of oh, here's him getting his just desserts. So since the technology was there, they did it. Uh, but yeah, overall the film is really it, it, the the film that I saw was really pushing the technological wonders of this movie. Yeah, and all the things they had to do and how they uh, there's a couple of funny stories about well we had to call the law office downstairs and say, well, we're going to be setting off machine guns tonight, so please, you know, because they were shooting at night when nobody else was there, occupying the building and getting permits and stuff like that. So, yeah, as a technical achievement, too, it's really remarkable. Yes, agreed. All right. That's the end of this movie. Yes. Guys, we did it. Die hard.
By the way... Next the- one is Die Hard on a Plane, apparently. <laughs> and then by Die Hard with a Vengeance, they're estranged again. Right. I was yes. looking up. I was like, how long did it take? Because I know that they don't stay together forever. Well, no, forever. because I knew that Catherine... Oh, I'm sorry. Her name. Mary. Mary. Mary Catherine? What is her name? Are you talking about Bonnie Bedelia? No, no, no. I'm talking oh, okay. about the actress playing his daughter by the fourth or fifth film. Oh, is it know. Mary Elizabeth in that one? Yes, Mary Elizabeth. <laughs> Winstead uh, is who we're talking about. Uh, and Bonnie Bedelia, I, I'm i going to risk being sexist because I love Bonnie Bedelia. Okay, well, then don't. What do you... What? The 80s were not a flattering look for her. She had big puffy hair. She had big puffy hair and shoulder pads. And if you remember when we reviewed... She looked beautiful, but but she was covered in a lot of extra that she, she doesn't need. If you remember when we reviewed um, Salem's Lot, part of that was this very yeah. kind of almost otherworldly kind of mermaid sort of little mermaid <coughs> thing that she had going on. And so it just made she her... She still had that. Right. Puffy, puffy, puffy But hair. keep in mind, Holly Gennaro uh-huh. is the second charge at the Nakatomi right. building. In downtown Los Angeles. Which is, yeah, it's a... The character from Salem's Lot could not do that job. So, maybe she could have. She'd require shoulder pads and big, big (laughs) hair. Like, it's a... It's a a uniform that that women were putting on. It was, like, almost, I think, the 80s... (coughs) I like like the 80s looks. Uh I understand what you're saying, for sure. There is something appealing to me about the artifice... Of 80s fashion. Uh, like 80s business fashion. The, the, no, nobody thinks your shoulders look like that. Right. You're literally putting on armor. It's puffy armor. But right. it is armor. And I, that's, that's interesting to me. Mm. Um, but it, it just seemed like there were all these inroads made during the 60s and 70s. And immediately it's like, no, we have to roll this back now. Women are going to be dressed from chin to in layers of sweaters, and we're going to blow out their hair. That's <laughs> always been true in business mm. areas, in office attire. Office attire was never, in the, even in the 60s, mm-hmm. mini anything. It's barely mini now. Right. Okay. There is business attire that is acceptable we made it up, everybody. <laughs> it pisses it me off. Feel, that, that's kind of because what, what I to choose to put on up. my body, uh-huh. whether it be a piercing, a tattoo, a hair color, or the clothing that I choose to wear, has literally zero to do mm-hmm. with my work product. So how about you get off my fucking nuts about <laughs> all of it? Right. It's just really frustrating to me because I'm just like, why are we making judgments? Especially when you're paying people in corporate culture, at the bottom of corporate culture, fucking nothing, requiring them to live in cities they can't fucking afford, and then they have to wear business clothes. Right. That shit's expensive. Like yeah. it, it, it makes me so. It makes me so mad. Okay. These are the th- these are all the thoughts that come over me when I think. Should I get a nine-to-five job? Should I just get a regular job? No. I can't. No. Because I will burn the place down. It's the same reason I couldn't become a teacher. Like, I just... As soon as the superintendent or whoever the fuck tells me, no, the money is not going to the students, it's going to, I don't know, my bonus, 
that's it for right. me. I guess I'm going to go to prison because I have gone to the superintendent's office with a weapon. Like, I, I just, I can't deal with I'm just like, no, it's too much bullshit, and I can't fucking deal with it. Righteous indignation. <laughs> so. Teacher's office with a weapon, and a shout out, yippee ki motherfucker. yippee ki motherfucker. <laughs> Give my kids some basic fucking right. supplies. Like, I just can't, I can't. And now... Yeah, well, as a person... Lord, it's getting worse. As a person who worked in the public school system for years, yes, I'm not going to disagree with you. That was horrible. I legitimately thought I was going to be a teacher when I went to... When I... Excuse me, when I entered college. And Mm. no, then I realized I can't... I can't. I can't work within that system. Because it's vastly unjust, and I just can't be part of that. I will get violent. Or I will just drink myself to death like it would be one of those two things it would be one of those two things so all right so that's the end of die hard it's thrilling guys it's totally thrilling it fits on this list good job list (laughs) next week oh i want to give a little shout out Uh, to al young long yeah is it young i think it's l-e-o-n-g one of my favorite actors from the 80s who was in this movie and I love him. He, he has a beautiful mustache, yes. a beautiful receding hairline, and long, flowy hair. And he will fuck you up. Northern Shaolin Kung Fu, Taekwondo, Kali, which is Eskrim on the double sticks, and Jiu-Jitsu. Yeah. He in- was an amazing incredible. martial artist. He was incredible. Yes. He's an incredible, incredible actor. He was not in this movie very long. And he had a gun, which was right. a bummer. But yeah, it is. I I, but I understand. And I'll tell anybody who you know the same thing that I'll, I'll get you to watch it eventually. There's Sorry, a film. It was in Bill and Ted. Rapid Fire with Brandon Lee. Oh is, yeah. There's a fight scene where he gets to use the the full complement of all the wild things that he can do, and he's really one of those guys who's unnaturally fast too. He's really great. So next week we're gonna watch something um, markedly different than this week. And that is Notorious. Right. Directed by Alfred Hitchcock, even though you told me it wasn't. Came out in 1946. It's okay. It's fine. I forgive you. (laughs) And starring some famos. Who's in it? Cary Grant, Ingrid Bergman, and Claude Rains. Them's famos. Yes. Um, So that is what we are going to watch next week. I don't know anything about it. Um, going in blind. This is a this is a true mm-hmm. late coming experience because I haven't watched most of um, Hitchcock's movies. So, and you're going to see what three of them now? I think right uh, more than that. He's he is. Let me pull up the list. He is the most prolific person on this list. We've had this conversation before, um, and I think the I thought the number was like five. Mm-hmm. It's way more than that. Number one is Psycho. Number four is North by Northwest. Number seven is The Birds. So in the top oh, ten, he's okay. got three. three We've got Rear Window. We did Vertigo, that one for Murder. Murder. Um, d- yeah. uh, Double Indemnity is not him. No, that's, uh, that's not. It's uh, Billy Wilder. Maybe that's what I was thinking. Strangers on a Train? Yes. That's Hitchcock. Which is going to be a fun movie, too. And notorious, and we've already watched. Um, 
We've already seen at least one of his. Oh, Dial M for Murder. That was one of them. Yeah. And that might be the only one. But yeah, so he is on this list a bunch, a bunch of times. Right. Um, so, yeah, we've got several of his coming through. And I have not seen Notorious. Uh, I have not seen Stranger. I have seen Strangers on a Train. Mm. I almost said I didn't, but I did. Um, I have not seen Vertigo. I have seen Rear Window. And you made me watch all the ones that are in the top ten. Nope, I haven't seen... Oh, yeah, I've seen North by Northwest. So I've seen The Birds and I've seen Psycho. So I'd seen four of his movies and then we are... Well, I remember that for Christmas once you bought me a wonderful set of VHS tapes. DVDs? Yeah, they were VHS. Because it was a big, wide case, and they were... Uh, I thought that they were DVDs. Yeah, and it, that was wonderful. I, unfortunately, I don't have a VHS player anymore, but it was a... I swear I thought they were DVDs. I don't know why I would have bought you VHS. Well, that was... I didn't know you in the 80s. No, that was 20 years ago. Uh, it was, But still, I knew yeah. that, D, that VHS was dying and DVDs was the way forward. Uh, yeah, but it was... <sighs> The thought that kind of it was I'm really like lovely. mad at myself don't, now. Don't be. I'm don't. mad. It was lovely. <laughs> okay. I'll calm down. Okay. So next week, notorious. Notorious. In the meantime, do you have anything you'd like to recommend? I don't have anything <gasps> new. What? Do you no. have anything old? Uh, well, I. Uh, I don't been, know what you mean by new. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, I don't have anything that I've seen recently that I have not experimented with before watching. Well, that's fine. Um, but What's good that you want our people to watch? I watched two films which uh, are both on YouTube or on Amazon, apparently, um, that were made in the 70s uh, about Australian magic. One of them is with Richard Chamberlain called uh, The Last Wave. And the other is uh, The Shout. A shout. Both of them are about people's, and I would love to someday. I remember talking to some friends uh, online about someday getting the rights to put together an anti-colonial horror uh, collection, an anthology of just stories where Mr. Pollock and the Poro Man and the Luck and Do and all these other stories that were written by H.G. Wells and Joseph Conrad, all these people about this is what happens when cultures interfere with each other and they shouldn't. And both of these films are about, you know, are very kind of anti You don't belong here. One of them is about a person who brings magic with him into this sort of English uh, seaside village. And the other one is about a lawyer who's asked to defend a young man who, an Aboriginal man who... Um, apparently was accused of murder, but it's actually murder by ritual magic. I need you to tell me the name again. Uh, would The Last Wave, and the other is The Shout. Gotcha. Uh, but they're both really, they're both emblematic of that period of time, and also the 70s were really good for Australia. They had just had some new directors. There's some suspense films there that we should be reviewing in the thrill list, and we can talk about that later. Yeah. But they, yeah, they produced a lot of interesting films at the time. Uh, do you have something to recommend? You've been busy. You've been away. 
have been away. I've been watching a lot of YouTube. There's a few things I've been meaning to watch, but I have not been watching. Mm. I'm not going to recommend anything new. Okay. If y'all haven't been watching Yellow Jackets, do that. It's very good. This season is very good. Um, we're catching up on Servant as well. Also very good. Very twisty. We talked about it before. We watched uh-huh. one episode. It was an oh my god at the end of the first episode and I was hooked. We're at the end of episode nine of season one. So we're not rushing through it. But yeah. also, it's a lot. Every like, episode is a right. lot and it's only 30 minutes. It's like a lot. It's, some of it is difficult to digest because you're watching people in situations that you can identify with. Yeah. And there's one, it was the episode that we saw last night, episode nine, I think. Yeah. Was, I won't go into any details because I don't want to, you can't, it's impossible to talk about you it can't, without spoiling You can't go into details but, on this show. It's just, right. it's literally, watch the first episode and if at the end of the first episode you are hooked, this, yeah. this show is for you. If the end of the first episode you're like, I don't, I don't care. Right. That's fine. It's not for you. Move on. Um, the other thing I will say to, um, in terms of things I've already recommended, the show from which was on Epic, yeah. but has now been picked up by Amazon Prime, and they're releasing a second season at the end of this uh, month. If you didn't check that out previously, I really recommend it. It's very good. It's another sort of supernatural, what the fuck is going on situation yeah. with Harold Perrineau from Lost, which is a- funny. He should just, uh, my my advice would be to just stay home for him. Just yeah, like, maybe. don't go anywhere. Don't maybe too take late. Any flights. Don't drive anywhere. <laughs> don't take a bus or train. Too late. Just. Just work from home. You've done it during, you know, the pandemic. Just don't set foot outside your house because something bad's going to happen. Something bad's going to happen. That's how I felt about Jack Bauer when they kept having seasons of 24. I'm like, bitch, don't answer your phone anymore. Yep, there you go. Just don't answer your phone. Problem solved. If you didn't answer your phone, you wouldn't be in this predicament. (laughs) Um, So... That's it for this week. Next Uh week, Notorious. Notorious. Which is very hard for me to not say Notorious. It's really, really hard, and I'm going to do it a thousand times. So good luck, everybody. Um, And until then, if you have questions or comments or concerns, you can find us on Facebook uh, by searching Latecomers Podcast in the search bar. Mm -hmm. You can also find us on Twitter for as long as that lasts and uh, by emailing us, latecomerspod at gmail.com. I want to remind you to please, please take your medicine and take Take care of yourself. Yep. Mm -hmm. And we'd like to remind you, better Better late late than than never. never.